Great to see you guys. So uh, we get the storm happening, right? It's uh, pretty exciting. Um, and uh, looking forward to uh, being um, in the, to looking out at the rain and looking out at the storm and, uh, and enjoying nature, uh, so long as there's no downed trees or <laughs> power outages or anything uh, that we're all safe. Um, as long as we're safe, that'd be good. Hey, we're in the series on boundaries, and uh, we're wrapping it up this week. Um, and I'm wrapping it up with uh, with this wonderful title. Um, and uh, let me see where my notes are. Here we are. Okay. So um, yeah. So the the uh, title is "Shake It Off." Yes. Um, a little nod to Taylor Swift. Um, and um, love it. It's very much a very boundaried kind of song, like, you know, owning your own uh, power and um, and moving forward. So, uh, yeah, shake it off. And it's from the uh, Matthew 10, where Jesus uh, gives instructions to his disciples that when they enter a city and if that city does not receive them to shake the dust off their feet, to shake it off and to move on. Um, and so that's what we're looking at this morning. I'm going to start by having uh, us look at that. And every time Zoom does anything, it shifts everything around. So let me look at Genesis, or uh, excuse me, we'll get to Genesis in a moment, but we'll look at Matthew 10. And um, I'm going to share screen here with you so you can read along with me. Um, all right, so Matthew 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the, uh, of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, uh, Andrew, James, John, Philip, uh, Thomas and Matthew, James, uh, Thaddeus, uh, Simon, Judas. Um, and these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any of the towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. All right, this is key, this particular verse, right? Freely you have received, freely give. So this is all about what has happened to you and what changes you have experienced. What, what have you freely received? What has come your way? How have you been changed um, in your own journey of growth? And from that space, give. Remember, we talked about that last week, that the whole thing of don't try to take out the speck out of someone's eye if you've got a plank in yours. In other words, do the work yourself, right? And then... When you've done the work yourself, then you have something to contribute to other people and be careful in doing so because some people won't take it and uh, you'll be casting your pearls before the swine, right? So note this consistency in scripture. This is what drives me nuts sometimes. It's my only little pet peeve here that I have with uh, many sermonizers, including myself in the previous years, I have a pet peeve against myself, uh, where I used to just talk about this idea of like, you know, there's something for you to contribute or give to the world, right? But the rhythm, the rhythm, it's consistent in scripture. The rhythm is receive, then give. That's the consistency in scripture. It's not give, then receive, even though that's what we've been taught. Um, and so it's freely you have received freely, 
give. John the Apostle repeats that in 1 John. Same thing, that rhythm, right? So we receive, there's something that took place in you. There's changes that you've gained this wisdom. Now give that out as a gift. Then he says, don't take any gold, silver, copper, you know, in other words, just show up whatever town, verse 11, or village you enter, search there for some worthy person, stay at their house until you leave. As you enter their home, give it your greeting. In other words, it's sort of like a blessing, you know, that, uh, um, that you, you confer. And there's power of words there. So if a home is undeserving, let your peace rest on. If it's deserving, let your peace rest on. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town. Shake the dust off your feet. All right. So then he says, truly, I will tell you that it would be more bearable for Sodom and more on the day of judgment than for that town. Now, we won't get into what that means. It's very apocalyptic language. It's not to be taken again, literally, <laughs> like something's going to literally happen. But it something did literally happen. And that was the fall of Jerusalem uh, that Matthew finishes out with in the later chapters. Right? So that's, um, that's what is uh, being pointed to there. But back to this idea of uh, <clears throat> it's if you don't, or if you're not received, if your message is not received, if the thing that you have freely received, that you have freely given, is then rebuffed, and people won't hear it. They don't want not anything to do with it. Jesus is saying, don't fight that. Don't fight that. You'll be tempted to fight that. Um, but then, of course, it brings up some questions for us. So what questions does it bring up? Well, it brings up questions of, well, how do you know? You know, how do you know you've you've done too much. What exactly is this thing of there's something for you to give? Is it, oh, we talk about like, you're supposed to go around preaching to people. You know, that's, uh, that's oftentimes the way people hear this. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, when do you know that you're supposed to leave? Is it after a certain number of people have said no to you? Is it like five people, 10 people, hundred people? Um, what if you're only interacting with a few people and then those few people, how do you determine, how do you determine this individual is, is really resistant or are they just struggling? Like we all do. Like we all have all, all of us have valleys. Right? Imagine if everybody was like, ah, you didn't, you, you know, you didn't take what I gave you. So I'm out of the relationship. Yes. <laughs> like, well, then we'd all be alone. Every last one of us. So it's, this is again, remember we talked about this last week. This is wisdom literature. Right. All of the Bible is wisdom. By the way, all the Bible uses all the genres. Right, It uses all of the genres are consistently mixed in within the books, even though we did this sort of genre series. And so even though this is in this in this sort of narrative uh, kind of literature um, or gospel literature, right? it's gospel literature. It, it, it embedded deep within it is wisdom. It's written during the time of the Greeks, the Greek and Roman Empire, right? The Greek, yeah, well, the Roman Empire, but the but tremendous Greek influence, mostly Greek influence, actually. And so they're still deeply interested in philosophy, wisdom, and how that works in your life. And so this is wisdom. Um, it is uh, intended for us to think about what does this mean? What does this look like? How do you apply it in your life? It's not intended for you to go, oh, then that's cut and paste. I must do this. It's just, you know, someone... Someone gives me guff, someone gives me a problem, I just cut them off. Done with you. Boundaries. Um, that's, uh, that's sometimes the way people hear this. All right. So that's not what's happening. Uh, it's called to wisdom. How do you do this? When do you do this? Do you know 
if it's resistance, doubt, you know, what are the weaknesses within you that would prevent you from actually having boundaries, you know, and from just like not being able to let go. Right. So we'll, we're going to look at, at that this morning. Um, all right. So that's Matthew, M- Matthew 10 and that big question of when to move on. Um, so the question then is how do we discern it? I, I use the word discern because discern is a word of, you know, wisdom. It's, it, it requires discerning isn't, um, you know, black and white. It isn't this absolute thing. It's you have to do the work. You have to, you have to engage in life. We don't want to do the work. Sometimes we want the answer, right? Hello. <laughs> Many of us are just like, just tell me what to do. I don't know what to do with this person. Just tell me what to do, right? We want the answer. And so people then come to church and they go, we want the answer. Joel, tell us what to do. Black and white. This is what you always do. This is what you never do. Absolutes. Give me that, right? And scripture resists that, entirely resists that. It's a call to wisdom. You have to engage in life. You can't stand back and have people tell you. You can't sit back in the stadium and watch the Patriots play as much as you love that. You also have to get into the real life and actually play your game. You have to engage. And that's why there are no black and white answers here. It's this is an invitation for you to discern. And as you discern, you change. That's how you grow. You don't grow by answers. You don't grow by giving everybody giving you answers all the time. You grow by having to have the harder questions that you can't answer. They drive you nuts. But what they do is if you'll follow it and you'll keep pressing in, eventually the answer will rise up from within you. You'll feel it, you'll hear it. You'll call it God from external sense, but it's also Christ within you speaking, the Holy Spirit within you speaking. It's present to you and so, when you hear it, you'll know, you'll have this inner knower, this inner sense of, I just, I think, right. You won't be hundred percent sure, but you'll have this, like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And, and, um, and so that's, that's how discernment works rather than black and white answers. So here's first thing I want to address is the adaptation that sometimes some of us do. So this is why it is difficult for us to know right? Why is it difficult for me to know when to shake the dust off my feet and to move on? Um, because it is difficult sometimes to, um, to not be liked. <laughs> uh, if I can be honest, how many of you, and, and I will put my hand up, how many of you like to be liked? I like being liked. <laughs> now, not all of you do. Yeah, I know plenty of people who don't care about that. So it's just, it's not universal, but there are a lot of us. So I'm going to talk about both sides, right? Because Paul talks about both sides. So we'll get into Paul a little in a little bit. It's really fascinating. Uh, all right. So there's the, those of us who like to be liked, have a hard time sometimes being, um, cut, you know, making decisions that may cause us to become unliked by the people we want to like us. Um, and so that's, an, that's something we have to be aware of. Um, this is the sort of noise that clouds our discernment. Right? There's always noise. Right? You, ever, you, you ever walk into a room? For, I think it's because I'm getting older. <laughs> walk into a room and it's like there's music, there's TV going on, there's you know, uh, YouTube playing in the background, um, there's a game, you know, happening at the same, it's like all this noise, you know, when you have an 11 year old, you're going to have that noise and all this noise is happening. And I'm just like, 
uh, can we just like cut off some of this stuff, you know? And, but that's what happens psychologically to us is we have so much noise in our head that is difficult to hear when it's time to shake it off. It's difficult to be able to discern that. And some of that noise is I need to be liked. And so if you can discern that, you can then go, okay, there's noise and it's causing a whole lot of chaos, making it difficult to discern, right? It's a spin, this activity. So what I have to do is just to ask myself some questions. Is that because I need to be liked right now? Is that why I'm having a hard time saying, mm, this situation here, this relationship here is draining to me and I don't know how to let go of it. And I keep working at it and I keep trying to make it work. I keep trying to have these people like me, I keep trying to fit in. I keep trying, I keep trying, but somehow it's not working. Um, they, they will not take the thing that is mine to give relationally, right? We all have something that is ours to give, that we love to give to other people. There's a gift that is ours. And each one of us, we have this contribution we want to make in the world. And when that's not received and constantly rebuffed, that's exhausting. It's really hard to be in relationship with folks like that. And there are times where, you know, we don't know how to discern, like, is that me? Is it them? I'm not sure. Maybe I'm the one who needs to change, right? So all this noise is happening, making it difficult to discern. So it helps to begin by creating some kind of order in your head, some kind of order in your, in your mind. Like, what is it? Okay. There's a likability factor. Yeah. I want to be liked. That's part of the problem. So I can't see, I can't hear, I can't discern. And so we set that aside. Okay. There's that. Um, let me address uh, what, how Paul handles this in first Corinthians. It's really fascinating how Paul says this in first Corinthians one, nine, I just sort of take that as like, wow, uh, let me just share the screen here again. This is like uh, one of those, wow, this is really deep, um, how you handle this. Um, so it's titled, funny, it's very appropriate, Paul's use of, of his freedom. Though I am free and belong to no one. Okay. Now for people who like autonomy, right? This feels good. Belong to no one. Total freedom, right? From, from being controlled by people. I'm free. I belong to no one. This is the starting point. And this is one that gets read so quickly that we never even pay attention to it because the rest of it is really, really powerful. I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To win the Jews, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all means, I might save some. Do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. You get that? So, so that's the part that captures us. Like, wow, he is, this is amazing. He has become all things to all people. He, he, he has done this. But we miss the first part, which is, though I am free and belong to no one. That's so important. Therein lies the, uh, the, the ability to do this well, right? It's the ability to be free, to belong to no one. So Paul is not lost in this need to be liked, not lost in this need to be all powerful and, and not controlled by other people. 
Um, he is not lost in any of that. He is really, truly free. Freedom isn't like, I don't need anybody. That's not freedom. That's reaction to something. Freedom is, I can take it or leave it. It doesn't, it doesn't control me. It doesn't, I don't, I can be in it or I don't have to be in it. Like I'm really okay in either, either place. Now that's a place I visit once a year. You know, it's not a place I live from. Um, and many of us uh, don't live there either. It's that, vac- it's that occasional vacation home you visit. It's like, rarely am I ever there at that place of free, truly free. Like that sense of I'm okay in any setting that I'm in, genuinely. But that's where Paul, that's what Paul is suggesting that he is. I don't believe that he was there consistently himself, but I believe that what he's saying is, this is the mode that I function out of by habit. It's a choice I make. It's not a feeling I always, I don't have, I have resistances. I have these issues myself, but I choose to live as a free person and, um, and, and doing so habitually, right? So, and that's the wonderful news about the gospel is that we have the power to choose. We have the power to choose our reactions, our responses. We have the power to choose to do things by habit rather than by feeling. Um, so, um, Though I am free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone. So he belongs to no one in the sense of not, be- not, in this, not in the sense of what we think of belonging today, but in the sense of I'm not owned by a group because this is what he's dealing with his groups in his day. He's not dealing with individuals. So when he says, I don't, I be- I don't belong to anyone. It's not, a, he's not, th- not talking about an individual. Right? That's our mindset today. That's American mindset, individualism. That's not scriptural mindset. That's not ancient world mindset. That is, there's no such thing. <laughs> the thing that is very much in the mind of the ancient world is what groups do you belong to? That's, that's the question. And so Paul is saying, I'm not owned by any of these groups, right? We've talked, I've talked with the, about you, uh, to you about this with Jesus, like not belonging to the group, to any of these groups, right? Which drove them crazy because that's actually more of a threat than if you belong to a group that's against your group, that's actually, okay, you're playing the game now, we get you. But when you're outside of the group, you've stopped playing that game entirely. And that's more of a threat. And so Paul continues that, which is, of course, why he also is a threat to the Roman Empire. It's because he it doesn't belong to any group. He's free. And so he can, because he's free, he can enter into a group and be part of that group. Now, this is what's fascinating, is when you're truly free and you're living free, you can actually be part of a group. Otherwise, what happens is you're trying to be a part of a group that you're already a part of. Does that make sense? So we, this is what oftentimes happens. The sense of belong, I need to belong. I need to belong. I need to belong. I need to be part of something. I need to, I, you know. And so what we end up doing is trying to belong to groups, but never quite feeling like we're inside the group. Never quite feeling like we belong. And so in order to belong for Paul, it's you have to start with freedom. You have to be free. Really, you have to be free from the from the fear that you don't belong, free from the fear that you might be disliked, <clears throat> free from the fear that you might be controlled. Yeah, you really have to. And when you're free, then you can belong. Because that's the starting point to belonging to the self is when you're free. You belong to yourself. You've given your own self permission to be here. Have you ever done that? walked into a group and you feel like you don't belong. And then you say to yourself, I belong because I belong. 
Maybe not, but that might be an exercise for you to do. Like I belong here because I belong to me. That's the starting point. Brene Brown does a masterful job of talking about this. So this is all, a lot of it is, is learned from her. All right. So this is where Paul begins, true freedom. Now here's an interesting thing. So Mike, Michael O. Emerson and Christian Smith are two sociologists um, who work a lot in the Christian world. Uh, they're both Christians. Um, and in 2001, they wrote a book um, and the book was called um, uh, Divided by Race. And, um, and they addressed the issue of uh, racism in the church. Um, and the problem of the church actually dividing. And if you watch the, um, the look at the graphs that they've come up with, and they've done deep, deep research into this, is that the church has continued to divide even more and more and more and more and more. So it's for, it, it first was politics back in the 70s, where people used to go to churches and they were politically divided inside the church prior to the 70s. So you'd have people who were liberal and conservative sitting in the same pew, worshiping God and um, doing life together. But then around the 70s, there began to be a split, and then churches started veering off in different directions. Racially, this began to, this had always been true racially, um, but it became, but it, it became deepened. And culturally, it became that way too. So even cultures now were, were sort of subdividing. Now, here's the thing. You would think that because you live, or you are in, let's say you're, you're, you're Black, you're in an all-Black church, or you're uh, you're, you're Hispanic and you're in a church with multiple Hispanics of different countries and you're all together, um, or you're white and you're all in the same uh, congregation, that you would have a stronger sense of your identity because you're, it's being reemphasized by the people that you're around. Guess what they found? They found in their research is the exact opposite. That churches where people actually com- got together where they were of different faith or different, excuse me, different culture, different race, that they actually understood their own identity better than the monocultural churches did. They had a stronger sense of self, right? Now you would think this is like, wow, this is earth shattering. Is there any precedence for this? Oh yeah, it's very biblical actually. That's the precedence that's already laid out in the scriptures. (laughs) This is what Paul's talking about. This is what Jesus talked about. So when Paul does this thing of, um, and what he takes is from the Greek culture. So Paul is very steeped in the Greek world. He understands this whole idea of the universal and the particular. There's even this idea in um, in, uh, right brain, left brain, that the left brain is particular and the right brain is universal. So it's even within ourselves. So the right, so there's this particular universal in particular. Now, here's the thing that Ian McGilchrist, um, who wrote this book called The Master and His Emissary, looking at the left side and right side of the brain says, is that the way for you to understand particulars is you have to understand the universal. In order for you to understand the universal, you have to understand the particulars. That neither one, you can't try to understand the self and the identity outside of the world without being in the world. And you can't understand the world entirely unless you pull away and occasionally are with yourself. Jeez, who did that? (laughs) Jesus did that. Jesus would oftentimes pull away from culture entirely and be by himself and then go back in. And he went from city to city to city. Who else did that? The apostle Paul. 
And so this is the reason why he can understand himself and say, I am free. I belong to no one. And yet I belong to everyone. I can be a slave because that's okay. I'm truly free. I can be like a Jew, like you guys, or I can be Greek. I can be whatever it is because I finally understand the more that I go back and forth between individual and group and back to individual and back to group and back to individual, the more that I do this with an open mind and with wrestling with this thing, because it sets you off. If you go to groups, you'll be like troubled, right? Which is why you may want to pull away. When you're alone in a way, you get troubled because you're like with yourself. (laughs) And so then when you're with groups, it feels a little bit better, right? And there's this back and forth, back and forth. And as you do so, you begin to understand yourself better and you understand the group better. So you're understanding the particular and you're understanding the universal. That's the reason why these two sociologists said it's remarkable. Our research absolutely floored us that that's actually what bears out when people choose to do this thing that's very uncomfortable is to continue to move towards the universal. Because if you choose to move for, to, towards the more towards the particular, like ah, I'm done with people, I'm done with groups, I'm done with culture, I'm done with race, I'm done with all this stuff, I don't know. And you go to yourself by yourself, you don't actually experience greater freedom, you experience more enslavement. You experience more uh, frustration with yourself, more and less understanding of yourself, and, um, and you're less happy. And so there's this like, this is the way that God has created this universe. And so we have to follow the rhythm of the universe. Like this is the way it's set up. You know, this is like particularly universal. This is true in physics. So this is what's fascinating, right? If you look at all of this, all of it is connected. The way God created this is absolute genius, way beyond our understanding. That in physics, there's universals and particulars, and they both cohabit each other. And there's no separation at the phys- at the level of physics. Same thing with culture and how it functions. There's both the individual and there's the group. And people are like, well, no, the group is just a collection of individuals. No, it isn't. It isn't. It's too much research to show that that's not true, that the universal, the group functions very differently than the individual does. This is why there's mob mentality, right? Because things happen in groups that people say, I would have never done that alone. I don't know what happened. Something took over me. It's also what happens in churches when you've sung together, right? When we've come together and we have moments of worship and we're singing together and there's, and there's moments where you feel presence, you feel the spirit of God just come, right? And you're all in sync and there's unity and you're singing. You ever, you know what I'm talking about, folks? That moment of, oh my gosh, this is utterly beautiful. There's a sense of complete unity and oneness in that space. There's both the loss of the sense of self but it's not really a, a fearful thing. It's sort of like a, I'm good. I feel good with me, but I also feel good with people. It's powerful. Groups are powerful. It helps you to understand yourself. So this is what, this is, all of this is so important as we begin to think of what does it mean to be able to create good boundaries in our lives so that we know when it's time to shake the dust off our feet. Off our feet. Because what Paul says is I can become all things to all people, and I have, in order to win some. But he's also able to say, yeah, you know what? This city just isn't, doesn't want it, doesn't want what I have to offer. I have to move on. It's really hard, but I have to move on. Because Jesus set that up, and Paul is reading Jesus. Like, yeah, times you have to do that. It's really, really painful. Um, 
So let's look at um, Genesis to get to that, you know, this issue back to the boundaries piece is look at, let's look at Genesis. Uh, there we are. Genesis two. So, um, so this is the second version of creation. You have Genesis one. That's the first version. The, um, and then you have the second version, even the use of the word God in Hebrew is changed dramatically. So it's likely that these are two different authors at ver two very different time um, times where this was written. So this is the second version of creation. Um, and verse 15, the Lord God took the man. And that's actually the better rendition of the Hebrew here. The man, as opposed to man, the man, um, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So the man, by the way, is the, uh, is just simply the human one or the Adam or humanity. Okay. So that's the idea there. Um, so God took humanity, put them in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Uh, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Okay. Now, the, the one I want to focus on is verse 16. The Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any, but you must not. Um, I'm sorry, verse 15. The Lord God took Adam and put him, or the man, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Okay. So there's a garden that is given to Adam to take care of. All right. So this is the role of the human one is you have been given a garden. So all of this is very, very mythical in the language, poetic. It's designed to cause us to think beyond. This is not just a kind of talking about a literal event. This is talking about what happens to you and what happens to me. <laughs> we are given a garden. We are given a, 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 a sort of, this is our lives. This is ours to maintain. This is ours to take care of, right? You're given a life. You're given a heart. You're given a mind. You're given a body. They are yours to maintain, not anybody else's. Now, when you're a child, of course, there's some, it's your parents to take care of. But as an adult, it's yours to take care of. You have to take care of your head. You get to take care of your, your heart, your emotions. You get to take care of your body, your health, your well-being. Um, this is yours. And you've also been given perhaps a home, a family to take care of, or you've been given a domain. Like, you know, this is my sphere of influence and this is mine to, to take care of. And so you're, you're, you've got a garden. And yours may be, you may feel like mine's small, you know, it's pretty small. Someone else's might be large, you know, they have a larger area that they've taken care of. Uh, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that you've been given something and it's quite a gift and it's a blessing. And you can be really grateful that you've been given this garden um, and that it is yours to maintain and take care of. Uh, but here's what oftentimes happens for us is that we... Uh, we can leave our gardens. So here's a little thing I wrote. Uh, don't leave your unintended garden. Don't leave your untended garden to take care of someone else's. But don't wait until yours is perfect before you do. And when you do, come back to yours and then go back out again. And that's the rhythm. Because the mandate there in Genesis is that they were to, to, to do this for the whole world, the whole earth. That's the idea mythically. Again, this is not like this literally is what's taken place. She's saying like, look, 
this is, you've been given a garden, make your garden grow, take care of it, tend it, it will grow, it will grow and it will influence more people. Uh, but that's yours to take care of. But here's what we oftentimes do in setting in terms of boundaries is we can get lost in the shaking the dust off of our feet part because we're like lost in someone else's garden. We've left ours and we've gone to theirs. And when you do so, you've lost all sense of self. You've lost all sense of identity, personal responsibility. And all you're doing is you're wanting to take care of someone else's garden. You're wanting to be in their space. You're wanting to, because yours is perhaps too hard to take care of. Maybe you feel like yours is too much, or it's just, you just get caught up in the agenda of other people. You know, um, that happens a lot for folks. Uh, and so you have to come back and take care of your garden to go, how's my soul doing? How's my soul doing? I remember a pastor asking me that question and it would stop me. It would move me deeply. I didn't know what to do with it. It was such a tough question to answer. <laughs> How is your soul doing? In other words, are you taking care of it? My favorite preacher, absolute favorite preacher is T.D. Jakes. And uh, one time in an interview, T.D. Jakes answered a question that was being asked of him. I forget the question. But he said, you know, joy is no one else's job to maintain for you. It's no one else's to take care of for you or to make happen for you. Something like that. He said, joy is your responsibility. You have to choose to be joyful. And I love that because that's the whole tending of the garden thing. It's your, you've got a garden. It's yours to take care of, you know, and it's going to be hard work sometimes. Now, some of us are so perfectionistic. It's like, I've got to fix my life or we feel like we don't deserve to really help anybody or we're inadequate to actually serve anyone else. And so we're just sort of focused in on our own garden, but don't, don't do the opposite and just like fixate on yours. You're intended to actually create this, to be a space for people to come in and out. Right. I think this is helpful in the sense of like, if I'm, if I'm pushing too hard in a relationship, trying to make something happen. Why boundaries matter is that then what happens is your own garden doesn't get taken care of. So if you're out there, you're just like, I want to save everybody. I want to, I want to help this person. I want to help that person. I want to, and then maybe God will take care of me, you know, and you're kind of doing that. Hey, you like, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Like, maybe it's because I don't want to tend my own garden, you know, um, and maybe I do need to realize that some things are just, it's not going to work if I keep trying. I got to move on. I got to shake the dust off my feet and I got to come back and take care of this garden. Or I've got to go forward and, and serve other people um, and, and, and keep moving on. Um, and that is a tough one. That's a tough one, folks. I, there's, no, there's no single answer to this thing. It's not like I could tell you right now in your life, here's what you need to do. No one can. <laughs> no one can. This is you. This is discernment. And it is hard work, but it's what I've done today is just to provoke enough with some questions to get us thinking, to get us thinking, to get us unstuck, maybe if we're stuck. And, um, and here's the good news about a boundary. Boundary is never a punishment to anyone. That's not the way it's ever supposed to be used. Shaking the dust off your feet is intended so that you can actually take care of your own garden or go serve other people who are actually hungry and really love what you have to give. Isn't it funny that sometimes we're willing to work so hard at trying to reach people who don't want what we have. Meanwhile, we have got family members, we've got friends who actually love what we provide and we don't even pay attention to those folks. 
I have been caught in that. And I have, I have, wow. To see that when I saw that, I was mortified. Like, I can't believe I've done that. I've been doing, yeah, I've been pushing really hard to try to get these people to like what it is that I, that I have for them. And there are people that already do, right? And so you go and serve them. You know, you shake the dust off your feet, you move on. The good news, though, in that is that that's oftentimes also when somebody who has maybe been resistant, then suddenly can realize maybe I've been resistant. Because so long as you keep trying, keep trying, it doesn't give them a chance. But when you move away and you let it go and you put a little bit of distance, just space between you and that, that other person, that suddenly then it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> right? That's happened to me, man. People have done that to me. And I've been like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think I might need to grow here. That was a good boundary. That was a good boundary. I don't like them, but I can, I can, I literally remember right now, I can tell you of stories of people that put boundaries because of my patterns. And it really, it hurt at the time, but then it became a source for healing and transformation. Came the fuel, I should say, for that. Right? So it's good. It's good. Especially if it's done lovingly and graciously, like this isn't about you. It's not a punishment on you. It's like, I need some space. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> Like, oh, wow. Yeah. So, oh, man, folks, this is a this is a big one, right? This is huge and uh, comes with all kinds of emotion, you know, because surfaces stuff. I can feel it in me. Um, and but yet it's it's the it's the stuff that, boy, you've got a gift. And I just want to leave this with you, folks. You have a gift. Each one of you right here on this Zoom in the Zoom room. You all have something so beautiful to give. God's given you a garden. So beautiful. So good. Right? So I encourage you, like, don't waste that garden. Don't waste it. You know, don't, don't keep trying so hard with something that isn't going to work. There are people who love the heck out of you that want you to, like, love the gift that you give and are receptive to it. And, um, and so that's, that's, what, that's what's uh, driving this, is let your... Let your, let your light shine. Let your light shine. Um, so good. Um, all right. So some stuff here. Whoo, in the chat feed, lots of, lots of action. Um, uh, has anyone, I'll start with the last one. Has anyone uh, ever seen the garden scene in the movie, The Shack? Nope. Um, I don't remember that. I don't, don't know if I even saw the movie. Read the book, loved it. Um, but no, I haven't. Um, oh, let me scroll back up, get to the top here. Okay. Uh, don't leave it. But is your garden truly ever unattended if God is in you and caring for you while you care for others? Yeah. Well, again, that's the, remember the rhythm that scripture gives us. It's the receiving and giving rather than the giving and then receiving, because that's the hope that a lot of us have is like, if I do for someone else, they'll do for me. That's called reciprocity. In the ancient world, there was this law of reciprocity and it was very much practiced. It was like, you know, you know, I do for you, you do for me, but scripture flips that. It's really fascinating. Scripture flips that. It's like, no, you have to receive because if you're giving in order to receive, then you're always, you're going to have expectations and they're going to be let down. And that's what causes resentment. It's because you're giving and you're giving and you're hoping to receive. 
um, as opposed to receiving, and then from the fullness of what you've received, you give. It's the abundance, right? And so uh, it's, it's, thank you, God, for the love that you've shown me. It's a good practice. It's like breathing that in. I have everything I need right here right now. God has blessed me with so much gifting. And you begin to meditate on that and you pay attention to that. And you, you, receive, you see love coming at you. And then from that space, that's, that's when you give, right? So it's the receiving and giving. That's the beautiful rhythm that God has, has created for us. Um, let's see. I love the physical act of gardening because it provides so much hands-on insight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no garden is ever finished. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is right. So you need to give without hope of receiving from anyone but God. But God. Yeah. Deb, that's right. Because, you know, the, the, that's again, that's where resentment kicks in. And I did it. That's really why I Because uh, I, I, I spent a lot of time with resentment and it was a partner. It lived with me. And um, I remember one day having to say, resentment, what are, you, what are you trying to teach me here? I literally talked to it. I was like, resentment, what are you trying to teach me? And I said, Joel, you've got a lot of expectations and you're disappointed. I was like, yeah, I have a lot of them and they're disappointed. You're absolutely right. I was like, well, the, and then that's when I came up with that, uh, that line, today's expectations are tomorrow's resentments. And, um, and boy, it became true in my life. So it was hard. It's hard to let go. It's hard to say, Oh God, I have to let go of this, don't I? Because it's painful to let go of expectations, to let go of the resentment that has carried you for a while because you had hopes that something would come from what you did. And then turning that into a place of just oh, just um, choosing joy today, like nurturing joy, generating joy, generating peace, generating contentment, generating uh, love, meaning like I'm going to today generate it. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to perceive it. I'm going to receive it. And I'm going to believe it and act like it's true. And then from that place, when you give, then it's a different space. So anyways, much love to each of you. I really do. My heart's with you. Um, boundaries are tough and uh, shaking the dust, shaking it off <laughs> is tough. Um, but it's a conversation. We don't have a lot of answers. We just have a lot of questions. I'm very much, very much in process on all of this. And, um, and so I just so appreciate your words, Joel. Um, and Deb, I thought your question was very insightful. Um, and I, I just had this experience this uh, spring and summer that to me really kind of highlights kind of this give and take of, of gardening. So when we moved into our home, and a number of you guys have been to our house, um, there were all these flowers planted that someone else planted. I didn't plant them. Um, and they're beautiful. Um, but initially I had um, a really hard time like understanding, wait, what's a flower? What's a weed? Um, and then over the past few years, I've started to like observe and like work more and more on my gardens and um, to really start to kind of differentiate what's what. 
And um, this particular year, I'll have to, I'll post this on Facebook, but um, there's this one area of my garden that is just like all these wildflowers. And I think what happened was they just reproduce and they just got out of control. And so every summer I was always like, oh, I don't want to take that out because that could be a really beautiful flower. I don't know what to do here. But finally, you know, year four in this home, I realized, you know what, I need to make some space here. I'm going to I'm going to pull up some of these beautiful flowers in order to, like, I started digging in, in and realizing, like, there's some really beautiful plants in here um, that need to be seen, but they can't be seen and appreciated for what they are because it's over kind of overrun by all of these other flowers and so um I just took some bold steps and I started pulling some stuff and like creating some different spaces and um I'll, I'll send you a picture because I think it's really beautiful <laughs> you might not agree but um but Deb it really struck me in light of your question I was thinking about this imagery of like um and, and the, that scene from the shack is pretty powerful too, but the spirit as the master gardener and how um, we work in conjunction with him, we're like, yeah, God is in us and God's um, things will grow, you know, like God's spirit is within us and things will grow and happen um, kind of regardless. Like we could just leave things and it will happen, but it's so much more beautiful to tend to that garden within and um, really pay attention to what does God want to prune? What does God want to uproot in my life? What does God want to maybe move around or transplant um, in order to allow it to be more beautiful? Um, and so I, I do think it's like this dance, but um, I guess that imagery for me was meaningful because I think we're all in this process of, um, of starting to kind of work with God, the master gardener. Um, and it's important, it's important to do that. And if we just neglect our gardens, which I have a tendency to do, um, yeah, there's some beautiful stuff there, but there's a lot of things that get ignored and unseen. Um, so anyway, thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, because that's exactly the point. You, um, a lot of people will it's easier sometimes to go play and work in someone else's garden than to kind of deal your own. But when you um, work in your own, you actually learn the skills, like you learn the differences and then, then you actually have something to go offer. Um, and yes, a garden is never finished. Like it's never a completed thing. And so, yes, it's not like I have to get everything perfect in mind that, and then I can come help you. It's not that at all. But when yours is in chaos, you're not going to do anyone else's garden any good. Let us pray. Lord, protect us from the abuse and harm of toxic people. I know you desire to set us free, free from the hurt of others, but also free from our own sin and bondage in that sin. Help us to have eyes to see toxic behavior around us and in us and give us the strength courage and resilience to break free from the toxicity and choose the path of life. Thank you for always protecting and guiding us, Lord. Thank you for always being good, gracious, kind, and loving. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>